of you who don't know Jay, he's from St. Louis. He's a former UCLA uh, player. He played alongside Corey Pavin, Steve Pate, Tom Pernice, Duffy Waldorf. Um, he does scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the show. Ralph, thanks so much. And congratulations, guys. Show number 80. That's great stuff. Yeah. Uh, definitely. We're happy to be here. Can't believe we're at 80 already and uh, hundreds marching up. So we'll have to have a, a big party for the 100th episode. We'll tip one down <laughs> here for y'all or two. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds uh, good. You know, this is our Ryder Cup preview show and, and it's coming your way right now. I can't believe they're in Rome. I can't believe it's, it's going to be happening this week. Uh, Jay, uh, your thoughts on the Ryder Cup on this golf course and layout. Do you know anything about the golf course uh, and that setup they have out there? I, I don't know a lot of detailed specifics about it, guys, excuse me. But um, first of all, the fact that we're just playing in Rome is remarkable for the game and the growth mm -hmm. of the game globally. Because if you think back and, and thought 30 years ago, if we'd said – you know, hey, guys, we're going to take this thing to Rome. Even the Euros would have looked at us and gone, why? You know what I mean? Why would we do that? We don't have any players over there. And, and the game has grown. Yeah. You know, because I liken this Ryder Cup stuff to what the U.S. Dream Team did, the very first U.S. Dream Team did in basketball for the NBA. We had Michael Jordan, mm -hmm. Larry Bird, and, and Magic Johnson, and all these iconic players. They go over to Europe, and then – 30 years later, look at what's going on in the NBA. We've got the best, some of the best players in the world are all from these European countries, all because of these seeds that were sown by these great champions. And um, I liken this to, to that. You know, it's it's there's a bunch of Italian kids that are going to get the bug and want to play. And, you know, hopefully I'll still be alive when they come out on tour and we get to root for them. But for the game of golf, this is always a great win, guys. It's always a great win. In terms of the the golf co the golf course, Ralph, um, in my opinion, the Euros do a much better job of suiting the course to their their team. Um, mm -hmm. the, the U.S. to me seems like it's more of a cash grab and more of a we're going to this quote unquote destination, where like even Whistling Straits, where we whipped their asses last year. Yeah. Their team had played whistling streets every bit as much as our team. Now you go to to uh, this this course in Rome, and their players have probably played it five, six, seven times more than any given U.S. player. That in itself is a huge advantage in my estimation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, when I when I look just at the fact that uh, there's no Italian players, it's too bad. However, we do have Eduardo and Francesco Molinari, who are vice captains. So that's sort of the Italian side to things. And um, I think you hit the nail right on the head when you talk about growth of the game. You know, Italy, in fact, does have over 300 golf courses and the game is growing. So it's going to do a lot for Italian golf in general. Um, for those of you who don't know, they're playing at Marco Simone Golf and Country Club. It looks like an outstanding uh, golf course, a lot of drivable par fours and um, reachable par fives, which will make these very interesting matches, Mike. Uh, and a, a lot of undulation, right? It, there's a, it's 100 yards in uh, elevation changes, if I've got that right. Uh, they compare it to Augusta, but not quite as, uh, as much of a walk as Augusta. I read that captains have backup caddies uh, lined up just in case anyone's tired. And, and we probably won't see someone play five rounds. That, that would be an epic uh, accomplishment for a player to, to, to play five in a row here. So uh, uh, I think it bodes well for match play, and we're going to see some real exciting golf this weekend. I think what's neat, guys, too, is to know, I think, um, uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank now on who redid the course, but I think the course has be, been redone specifically for uh, match play, you know, so like, uh, it, as you mentioned, right. drivable, drivable par fours and reachable, a lot of eagles, a lot of yeah. water balls, a lot of things like that. It's Tom Fazio II, uh, who was tapped in in 2018. 
That's uh, right. So, yeah. He was so, a yeah, young I guy. Agree. He was like 22 years old when he took on that project. It's really, uh, that's really interesting. I remember reading about that as well. Yeah. But th this yeah, team... No, no is is exciting if, we, if we're just going to go down the players here obviously captained by luke donald the vices you have bjorn uh coltart olafable and molinari and going down the list of players uh if any of these names jump out to you guys if you have any comments mcelroy rom mcintyre hovland hatton fitzpatrick fleetwood stracker rose larry hodgegaard and aberg now, uh, <laughs> there's it's a, a stellar lineup. Yeah, stellar lineup. Uh, a few names that uh, some golfers may not recognize, but they've obviously earned their uh, their place on the team. So, so to, and time will tell. Uh, by Sunday night, uh, if, if these uh, players haven't performed, then the coaches uh, are going to get a uh, get ripped a new one. To put it that way. It's really going to be interesting, guys. If you look at the top the top end, the Euros. I mean, who doesn't want to go to battle with Rory, Rummer, um, Hovland, uh, uh, Hatton? I mean, they're 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 top Fleetwood, they're uh, Fitzpatrick, they're top five or six. I mean, it's an unbelievable team, right? And yeah. then you're going to get this Ludwig Edberg. He's he's been the top amateur player in the world for the yeah. last two years. You know, they're they're. I've read. I don't know if it's going to be come to fruition, but I heard that he's going to be paired with McElroy, and he's. They're talking mm. about he's the best ball hitter on the team. Now, again, wow. there's a lot, of hype, a lot of smack, a lot of this that goes on. It's going to come down like everything else, guys. Is who holds the most pots. It's yeah. going to come down. That's right. To, it's it's always going to come down to execution. We all know what to do. We all, you know, Jordan. Their their team, in my opinion, Luke Donald picked the team that. Uh, he added his captain's pick by the guys that are playing the best. So, mm -hmm. um, the, you know, the guys they threw in, uh, Robert McIntyre earned his way on or else he probably wouldn't have been on the team. But Adberg and Hoygarden and um, there's uh, uh, Seb Straka is a Ryder Cup rookie. Uh, and, you know, those guys are playing extremely well. We picked our team, in my opinion, again, for specific pairings. Um uh, JT is going to play with Jordan Spieth. He has quite a bit. Um, so there's a lot of, of that going on. And again, like anything else, guys, it's paper, throw the paper away. Who, who can you can, yeah. oh, here, this team is favored. It's all going to come down to performance and who plays better, who makes four putts. Uh, and, and it's going to be must watch TV. I mean, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to it looking as well. Joining us right now, we've got Gary Williams. Gary, uh, welcome to the show. You know, uh, he, he is not only the former junior at Ridgewood Country Club, <laughs> he is also the golf host and analyst for PGA SXM Radio and Five Clubs Golf. I had to say it because it was in your bio, Gary, and I, I had to just, just say something funny. Mike said, I, it's Mike, in the bio for a reason, gentlemen. Those are very proud days, winning the father's son in 1981 at Ridgewood Country Club. Are you kidding? Beating Pete Campbell yeah. and his dad, Pete Campbell? Hey, big stuff, man. Gary, yeah. you just jumped in. We're you talking about us. the European team. Uh, we're talking about the players on the European for now. We're, we haven't even unpacked the U.S. team yet. But, you know, I've got, uh, you know, <clears throat> something, uh, a, a fight to pick with the fact that, you know, Aberg and Hodgard and, and some of the McIntyre got picked. Adrian Moronk, in my opinion, my personal opinion, and following the game as closely as I do, should have gotten picked. Not only has he won at Marco Simone Golf Club, He's also won the Australian Open. He's won the Irish Open. You know, he's uh, he's fifth on the points list in Europe, and uh, he got overlooked. Now, I don't know what the uh, the actual reasoning behind it is. However, uh, I feel like that was a a definite pick that should have happened. Fair, I totally fair. I mean, I, I think that when you get to, you know, guys like Adrian Moronk, or in the case of the United States team, because of the dip that Justin Thomas saw, you know, you, you, you put yourself to where these, these decisions made by the captain. And I don't think it was just Luke Donald. And I don't think it was just Zach Johnson who made these picks. I, my, my position when these things were announced was that the team picked the team, 
not, hey, Zach, we want this guy, but there's advocacy inside those rooms that I'm totally fine with. I don't know how Jay feels about it, but I, I'm totally fine with you know, the idea that for all these years that American fans have lamented the fact that Europe appears to have this great camaraderie, and then the American team appears to have really good chemistry, and they want the inclusion of somebody who's been really good in this event, and, and people are going, well, it's an inside job, it's a secret society, it's a boys club. Isn't that kind of what you wanted? And so back to the Adrian Moronk position, because he has no history in the event, I'm not I'm not saying that the merits by which you positioned his candidacy are not totally valid. But I think that Shane Lowry is in that room because he had the advocacy of Roy McElroy and some other guys. And, and the fact is, is that if Shane Lowry and Justin Thomas don't play well, then the criticism that is going to come for Luke Donald and Zach Johnson mm-hmm. is going to be justly deserved. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, guess uh, I, that, that, I don't that opens up things for the, the, uh, the team USA with Lucas Glover and Keegan Bradley, not getting picked. I'm really curious on your opinion, Jay, on them not getting picked and the reasoning behind it as well as you, Gary. Yeah. Well, I love what Gary said. I mean, look, we, we formed this, like uh, this consortium of players to, to, to try to, help figure out why the hell we're not winning more Ryder Cups, right? You look back at the history of the Ryder Cup and until we included, you know, the the, the countries of, of Spain and the rest of Europe, this thing, nobody even cared about this thing, guys, right? So Jack Nicholas never cared about it. And and um, and it's kind of like as soon as we started losing, all of a sudden, you know, we care. Um, from the standpoint of getting this thing right, I mean, it's, 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 I'm a huge Lucas Glover fan. Okay. Um, I could easily see why, uh, um, how Lucas could have been on the team. He's playing as well as, as anybody, except anyone other than than Victor Hovland probably when the picks were going on. But what happens guys is time passes on. And you have, we've seen this before where in the first three months of this year, John Rahm won everything. John Rahm was so dominant and we couldn't get his name off of the screen if we wanted to, right? He had, he was, he was, he was an issue in every single event. Where's John Rahm been in the last three months? So my point going is that somebody is going to have to stand in front of the, on the podium at the end of the day, whether it's Luke or whether it's Zach, and they're going going to have to try to explain stuff that they're not, they didn't know was going to happen. Right. The, 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 you're trying to get the, the best players playing when you need them, how you want them to play and, and all this. And, and guys, uh, guys on the PGA Tour make 80 percent of their money in six events mm. and they play an average of 25. So it's a it's, this is a crapshoot. Right. Obviously, Rory McIlroy's lousy golf is a thousand times better than my lousy golf. But. His lousy golf is not going to get it done in the Ryder Cup. And that's what's important. Mm-hmm. And so how do you get these horses peaking when you want them to peak? And how do you choose? And I mean, Moronk not making the team was a shock to me. I mean, especially because he mm-hmm. loves, you know, Marco Simone. So well, obviously he's got great history there. And Hoygaard getting picked on the team for them was, was kind of equally as shocking. But he's playing great right now. Now, that was five weeks ago, though, guys. Yeah. You know how this game is. Yeah. You turn the corner and all of a sudden you take in, drive it in the fairway. I mean, it's so so you're gonna throw in all this pressure, you're gonna throw in all of this, all of this desire because everybody wants to to play well and bring and and it's just it's just what sports is made for, right? Why we love it because we have no yeah. damn idea what's gonna happen. We can speculate and we all well, I want the red, white, and blue to win. I'm just gonna say that that and 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 not even be ashamed for it, but. Who knows? I mean, I, I have no idea. I got to interview Colin Montgomery in the Champions event that was in St. Louis two weeks ago, and he spent an hour convincing me why the Euro should be a heavy underdog. <laughs> I said, dude, it's not working. It's not working. He's, <laughs> he's like, Ludwig Edberg has not even played in a major championship before. And I said, I don't care. He just won the, you know, he just won his first event on the DP. World Tour three weeks ago, and the kid's a stud. He's been the top. He's ready. He's ready. Watch. 
he'll probably play great. It's really going to be fun, guys. And then I'll shut up because I'm hogging a lot of this time. Is it? It's going <laughs> to be interesting to see which young guys, which rookies, step on. And I can't wait to watch Brian Harmon for the U.S. That's my yeah. I, I, I yeah. look. I there's so much of what Jay said that I'm I'm just sitting here shaking my head in agreement. And what the overarching thing that I'm thinking about though is is why all of this is just reaffirming why the Ryder Cup is so damn special to all of us. Like the, we're emoting about about guys being omitted or being selected in ways that only happens every day on sports talk radio in America, when you're talking about the NFL and decisions made with two minutes to go and why did they run the ball in third and four golf, like bursts into the mainstream of the consciousness of American sports fans during this week in a way it doesn't, it doesn't do it during the masters. And I, nobody loves the masters more than all of us do. This is a, this is a very, very particular event. And one last thing about what Jay said, like, we don't know, like we, we, we base the selections on the performance over 72 whole stroke play events. And now we're thrusting all of these guys into the confrontational environment of match play in, in this, these fickle formats of foursomes and four ball, where every hole feels like a competition and every match feels like it's a referendum on their livelihoods. It's, it's so different. Um, and again, it just reaffirms what we all know. This thing is so much fun and it carries us for literally months of a buildup. And then the decisions are made about who's going to be on the team. And we scream and yell at each other. Like, why isn't he on it? He should be on it. He shouldn't be on it. And then they play the thing. And then we got to wait another two years for them to do it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's like a prize fight for golf and, and you don't with match play, you don't know until you get in the ring and start playing. Uh, and it's uh, a lot of these young players, they don't have the ghosts uh, that some of the senior players have and, and the failure. And, and so, so they can go in there and, and fresh and, and, you know, alongside Rory, whoever Abert gets play with great. He's got that experience he can ride off of, but um, get in the ring, boys, and fight, and let's see uh, who's standing on Sunday afternoon and, and holding the trophy. This is this is one of the best tournaments uh, in our sport, if not the best, because it, it's a, it's you, you get guys like like Ian Poulter uh, in the past who just comes out of nowhere and and, and plays way beyond what he's expected to do, uh, and, and that doesn't happen so much in, in stroke play events. Maybe for one round, a player gets hot, but uh, uh, this is the pinnacle of our sport, and, and I think this course is a great backdrop for for this battle to go down on. The 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 course, the city, you know, you mentioned Poulter. Like I I I'm watching the Solheim Cup. And Caroline Headwall, she didn't really do much at all this year in stroke play competitions. But you know what happened? She was thrust into an environment where she has, you know, this this institutional and emotional, you know, knowledge of what she's done formally. And she jumps up and in nine holes, flips the script on her own match, sets up Carlota Saganda in her own country to win the, the most important point, the pivotal tying point. And again, Caroline Hetwall didn't do anything appreciably special this year, playing 72 holes of stroke play golf, but you put her in that environment and she responded like Poulter has in the past, like Zach mm -hmm. Johnson is counting on Justin Thomas to do as mm -hmm. well this week. Um, and that's why, again, like Jay was talking about Brian Harmon. I didn't think at the beginning of this year that I was going to be looking forward to Brian Harmon playing in the Ryder cup, but I sure as am now. I mean, yeah. and he is, he's feisty. He appears to be mm -hmm. somebody who will be totally comfortable with the confrontation of the, of the format itself. Hell yeah. Sign me up yeah. for Kepka and Harmon on a Friday morning from Rome. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I'm really excited. Listen, Jay, congratulations, by the way, playing the Champions Tour in St. Louis at the Ascension Charity Classic. It's great to see last. you out there. No one's going to mention the fact that you're 62 <laughs> and you still know how to stripe it. But that's, I, you know, it was exciting to, to, to hear that you're out there and playing. And that's great. 
you know, when we look at the Americans compared to the Europeans, let's look at the, uh, the format. Now, a lot of people don't understand the foursomes and the four ball, but uh, they're both two-man teams uh, playing one ball for foursomes. Each player plays his own ball in four ball. Um, where do you think the Americans are going to excel and who's going to take the lead on that? Obviously, we have a, a very powerful American team, but foursomes and four ball and any guesses on what those teams are going to look like? Um, who do you think is going to be paired together and, and who's going to excel in those two formats outside of singles? Jay, why don't you take the lead? Oh, sorry. Okay. Thanks, Gary. The first, guys, the first uh, team I think you're going to be able to count on is going to be Shoffley and Candlelight. Um, uh, both real quiet, both uh, kind of these guys that kind of want to step on your neck and twist it a little bit uh, with, with the way that they play. They're really compatible. Um, they've been paired together before. Um, I. It's an interesting there's there's some guys that are not present on this team that were present last team, uh, aka DJ, and I love mm -hmm. the DJ Morikawa team last year. I mean, I thought with the mm -hmm. way that he drives it, the way that Morikawa Morikawa guys might be the best iron player since Tiger Woods. It's so solid. Get absolutely locked in. Um, so it's going to be interesting, you know. You, you wonder about Sam Burns and Scotty Scheffler because they're really good buddies. And Sam Burns is a here's a kid that was similar to John Rahm early in the year, not quite as proficient as Rahm, but won, won some events, was at the top of the leaderboard, and really hasn't been heard from in six months. And so uh, a questionable pick, but I gotta believe he's gonna be with Scotty somewhere along the along the way. And that's one of the reasons he's there. I really believe, you know, Spieth and Thomas are going to hopefully be kind of the core. And um, yeah, I, I, I think that's that's kind of it. I think those guys know each other so well. They feed off one another. They're both kind of the emotional heart of the team. You get some of the other guys, Cantlay and Shafley, they are quiet and they are assassins, no doubt about it. But they're not going to say much. Morikawa is kind of somewhere in between. But Speed and Thomas don't need to say a word. You just watch them listen and they'll tell you exactly what's going on when we used to do you know the tv for fox and a little bit of pj tour life whenever we had jordan speed and even jt to a lesser extent you didn't have to do anything it's just get the microphone out and listen to speed and greller and then say a prayer for greller when he gets home because you know he needs to go soak his head in a bucket of ice you know because it's like <laughs> man i don't know what else he can ask me uh, but it's must watch tv so that that's kind of where i'm going with it i'm not sure how Wyndham clark is going to fit into this i would put brian Harmon in anything i think he's a pit bull i think he's a and i love great putters in this format and he is one of those yeah i i'm i'm Certainly with Jay, I think you can count. First of all, I think the Americans, the, the pre-Ryder Cup press conference schedule is pretty telling because there are three sessions for the Americans and it's kind of broken out in pods. And so if you look at the four guys who are going to be meeting with the media together, meaning that their practice schedule is the same. So Spieth and Thomas, uh, as Jay said, with, with Shoffley and Cantlay, their locks to, to their whatever, whether it's the first session on Friday morning or the second session on Friday afternoon, they're going out together. Uh, I absolutely believe that that Burns and, and, and Scheffler are, are going to be playing together. I think Kepka and Harmon are likely their first opportunity is going to be with each other. And I think wow. Ricky and Wyndham Clark is, is the last pairing that I think mm. when you, you combine, look, I think Ricky is among the most, kind of flexible, uh, you know, malleable guys on the team. You can mesh him with virtually anybody, um, one, because of his style, but also his likability. But I think that their connection through Oklahoma State, there's a relationship there that exists. Obviously, Ricky predated uh, Wyndham when he was there before he went to the University of Oregon. If I had to guess, that would be my six pairings to start. And then, depending on, Jay, how those guys fire, um, you know, then it gets interesting. What if Thomas and Spieth play two matches Friday and they lose both? Does oh. Zach Johnson audible 
and break them up on on Saturday morning. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's why all this is so much fun, but that's where I would start. Those would be my six pairings that I would guess on. I love it. I love it. And, I, and I think yeah. a, lot, a lot of it to do with the way they win or lose, right? I mean, yeah. the, you know how golf is, you can run into a buzz on the other side of the, of, of the, of the aisle and say, well, hell, we were four under par and got our butts whipped because they were eight under par. Or, you know, we, we couldn't make a par, we couldn't hit a fairway. Again, it just, it all boils down to who's going to play well at the time and who's going to make the crucial putts. I mean, it's, I can't, I think you're spot on with, with Wyndham Clark and the relationship with, with Ricky. And I also love Ricky Fowler. First of all, as a human, he's just as yes. a guy as he gets. And second of all, as a guy in the yeah. room, where you, you never hesitate to have him in a foxhole with you. He's going to be a team guy. He's going to do whatever it takes, you know, and then you kind of have Brooks who is kind of, you know, he does his own thing. He's kind of this lone ranger sort of guy, you know, and you mentioned, you know, Kepka and Morikawa. I mean, it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what he, what he does because there's always that why there's always that yes. head scratching pairing where you go. Oh, you know, I, you know, back in the day you'd go, Oh, it's, it's Scott Hoken, you know, you go, you know, how did that, but, <laughs> yes. you know, the points are so valuable guys. You get even that half a point or a point, yeah, it, can, it can mean the the difference in who, who gets to, who's celebrating and who's, you know, not so happy on Sunday. Well, the Solheim cup is a perfect example of what a half a point means and how, how, what happened this weekend, you know, uh, Friday, we've got uh, foursome matches uh, four going out in the afternoon for four ball matches. And obviously the uh, same thing on Saturday, Sunday singles, you know, it's interesting that you talk about Kepka. I think on the, uh, from the outside in, it looks like Kepka's not very, uh, sociable. He doesn't get along with the guys, but he's really tight with all the boys down in Jupiter. He plays with them all the time. So I think it's the appearance that we have of Kepka being this tough alpha, you know, introvert, who goes out there and takes care of business and doesn't get along with anybody. Whereas I don't think he'd be picked on the team if he wasn't likable, not only a great player, obviously, but certainly uh, a team player and wanting to be there because he's sort of the anomaly. I don't think a lot of people knew if he was going to be on the team or not. I thought Keegan or Lucas would be on the team before he would be, even though he's performed obviously (laughs) this year phenomenally with the two majors there where he's finished second and first. Um, Your thoughts on JT though. JT has a lot to prove in my opinion, being Mm. so far outside of the points, obviously a great team player. Um, Tell me, what the repercussions are going to be on possibly Zach Johnson and the other vice captains and the players for picking JT if he can't hit the ball because he's looking for his swing as well. He said it on, in countless interviews. Obviously, he's played fairly well, got a top 10 finish recently. But uh, what if he doesn't play well? And what's this going to do to him? Well, it's, it's one of the great questions. I, 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 Jay, I think it's one of the great questions going into it. If he doesn't play well, it, uh, there are a couple things that present itself. Back to what I was saying earlier, if, if he and Spieth don't, don't win, and Jay made a very important point, how you win or lose will determine and dictate to, to varying degrees, do you go out there again? I mean, if, you, if you, got, you, know, you make nine birdies in a match and you get clipped because the other team makes 10, that's different from, from having a hard time shooting level par in, in an alternate shot format. But if he doesn't play well and they lose, it's a, there are a couple things that, that happen. One, do you break him up with speed? And two, do you bench him? And like, so if he doesn't play well on Friday and he doesn't play Saturday morning, like, would you sit someone of that caliber and that profile, Jay, for an entire day going into a singles? That's why this is a, you know, I don't think it's a huge roll of the dice because I think he will respond again. He's not posting his score. And the other thing is, as we've seen from the first chance he had in this environment, he loved it. And I think he'll respond well to it. But if he doesn't, then it becomes a sidebar story that I can promise you Golf Channel and NBC is going to be feasting on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great point. I think think it's going to boil down 
to, you know, what, what his game, what, what sort of state his game is in, you know, what does it look like? Um, and for me, if I'm, if I'm captain Johnson and he comes out and just stinks the place up on Friday, I pull him. I, I absolutely pull him. I think we have seen, you know, he, um, um, guys stick with, you know, guys, it's sports is interesting. And most of all the other sports guys, they pay you on what you did. Okay. JT is on this team for what he did, not what he's been doing currently. And here's a wild card pick. I can remember when I think Lanny Watkins picked Curtis Strange and Curtis was just yes. playing. And Curtis got paired in the finals. I think it was one of the last matches, if not at Oak Hill against Faldo and lost, and we lost the cup. And, you know, I know in the in the backs of those rooms that the conversations were had like, hey man. I wasn't playing well. You know, I gave it all I had. I'm out here swinging with a wiffle ball bat and these guys are throwing hundred mile an hour heaters at me. You know, I'm doing the best I can. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I really think um, JT's emotional support for the team will be extremely valuable. His insight, he's a, he's a uniter. And, and, and I think that's really, really interesting. I'll tell you a real fun story guys, before I have to drop off, but, David Faraday is a is a really good friend of mine. And we talked about the Ryder Cup and he made a Ryder Cup. And he said, everybody, you know, Faldo's on this team, all of, all of these hot shots and, and World Golf Hall of Famers. But Seve comes into the room and the whole thing changes, right? Seve was larger than life. And Seve puts his arm around David at one point and says, you know, are you nervous? And he says, yeah, I'm really nervous. And Seve you know, Zach said, yeah, me too. I crap my pants, you know, the other, and, and anyway, so Sevy was doing this job to try to unite and be a guy in the room. And I said to David, man, it sounds great. It sounds like you and Sevy almost became friends. He goes, nah, not really. And I said, why? And he said, because I got paired with him the next week and he called me Doug twice on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, great. That's, that's awesome. great. Jay, before you before you leave us, I just want to mention you could listen to uh, Jay Delsing. He's out in St. Louis over on Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Uh, give us your favorite food or drink from Italy. Give us uh, some uh, an Italian uh, favorite oh, dish. Oh, man, food or drink from Italy. <laughs> I mean, we can we just throw, as you guys would say, pasta. I, I mean, anything. Um, you know what? It's got to be wine. I, I, my brother is much more uh, wine snob than I am. I like anything with a cork or now screw tops for the most part. <laughs> a nice big Barolo, you know, big and dry would be great. And then you could, I'm not really a foodie, Ralph. So, you know, you could throw okay. a cheese okay. cracker with me and I'd be fine yeah. with that nice red wine. Well, thanks for joining Perfect. us, Jay. You so, have a great day. Thanks uh, for having we'll me. Thanks, Jay. All right. We'll talk thanks. soon. Good seeing you, buddy. Yeah. Always Enjoy a pleasure, Jay. Jay, take care. Well, Gary, uh, Gary, Gary, I'd throw like, the, I'd love the to. question at you. You know, are are you in Italy for? Uh, are you going to Italy? Or are you? I'm not. I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm not a big FOMO guy. I'm not a big. You know, wish I was there. I don't think it's a healthy thing to to have. You know, to to harbor either combination of of envy slash resentments. Uh, right. <laughs> I can promise you. <laughs> yeah. I'm exceedingly resentful right now. Uh, but I'm not there. Uh, I'm going to offset not being in Rome by going to Chicago and playing Chicago golf club for two days. Uh, so nice. I, there you go. I have that to look forward to, but no, I won't be there. I will be doing the post, uh, the post game on Sirius XM uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from one o'clock to four o'clock Eastern time. Full recap each day on uh, we will be pulling all the meat off the bone of every single match. So, but I'm not, will not be in Rome, one of my favorite cities in the world. I'm really enjoying the no. show, uh, the shows that you're doing, Gary, with uh, Brendan. And uh, that those are, the, you know, it's really great that you're actually, uh, you know, breaking things down with the players. Uh, I find it extremely interesting because you come in from a perspective and a very unique angle on how you take apart the golf courses, the players, uh, the tournaments themselves, uh, the matchups, uh, the history of the game. It's very well-rounded and well done. Thank you. Uh, listen, uh, I, I appreciate you guys so much, uh, not only for always having me on, but uh, how much you guys care about, about the sport and the game. 
Um, yeah, it's great. We're, you know, with, with Johnson Wagner, who's people are seeing more and more of on the television side, uh, Brendan's actually going to do a little bit of work for golf channel before the end of the year. And of course we had Webb Simpson part of right. our preview show. Uh, and we're all here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we all reside and to get Webb's perspective on it as somebody who's been on the team three times, he was a, a vice captain for the United States in the president's cup last September at quail hollow. Um, you know, he, it's, it's, uh, there's nothing like hearing the viewpoint of somebody who did it as a player and now has the transitional experience of as what it's like to be part of the decision-making process. Um, this thing is, is changed a lot. The analytics associated with determining pairings beyond like, I like that guy. He likes me. Let's go try to get a point. It's so much more sophisticated now than it yeah. used to be. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I think I think what's come into play, and Mike Weir has talked about this as a captain for the uh, <coughs> President's Cup team next year, is the, the Moneyball-style analytics that are going on right now, being able to break down every part of your game and, and see what's trending, what's hot now, what's done in the past, and being able to uh, to put that all together and, and pick a solid team, and not only a solid team, but then the pairings, uh, is is crucial in today's game. It is, and you know, again, you you start looking at the way that that you know a lot of players are employing analytics now in their own individual kind of analysis of of their performance and what do I got to work on and strokes gained as far as the, the extrapolating of, of where have I been good? Where do I need to improve? But, but, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier about format, you know, you consider the foursomes format. Okay. So you're only going to be driving. You're only teeing off on half the holes. You're only hitting theoretically the approach on half of the holes at Marco Simone, three of the four par threes are odd holes. So oh. you would think you would lean on the guy who's got the better strokes gained approach statistics for those three likely iron shots. Um, and again, there's, there's so much that the, the way that they look at based on, and again, they can't simulate opponent, but yes, they can. They can say, well, they put Rory and Aberg out third. Let's examine and simulate the win, pro the win probability of Morikawa and Homa in four ball or foursomes, like all of this stuff is considered. Um, so the reams of data that they, they, they've got, you know, I don't know that the nerd herd is they're called these guys who are the data geeks. I don't know if they yeah. get all the swag that Fred couples and Jim Furyk and Davis love and Steve Stricker get. They should. I mean, they yeah. have as much to do with who's playing with whom um, as the vice captains do themselves. But that's, you know, look, this, this is not uncommon for basketball, football, baseball, um, the analytics of sports, the science slash the art of the game is totally shifted. Yeah. Uh, long There's so much data. Yes. Right. There's like 20 years ago, we didn't have this kind of data. Uh, and all. now we're drowning in it. You, how can, it's it's hard to keep up. My mind's yeah. exploding just with our conversation. Long now. gone are the days of uh, Ben Crenshaw uh, saying, "You know, I've got a good feeling about this, <laughs> right?" And then, uh, yeah, right. you know, Hal Sutton taking a, a fire. Yeah, here's what Ben would have said if if somebody in the analytics department had approached him before he went up on that podium and said, okay, Ben, here's the win probability down 10-6. And I think we need to do this because this guy's strokes gained around the green. He would have gotten up there and said, I have a really bad feeling. I have a splitting headache because of what somebody just shared with me. I don't know what they said to me. I'm just going to walk off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. the idea of I'm going to, I'm putting him with him because my gut tells me they may play well tomorrow. Well, Mike and I feel archaic where, you know, we yeah. talk about the analytics a lot of the time and I'm, you know, I'm at the range sometimes and I see all these trackmans and, and uh, foresight golf machines and I'm throwing grass up in the air, like some Neanderthal, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're yeah. not, you're not looking oh, at it, launch it, angles. 
Yeah, I am. I am. I am. I'm just, uh, just, you know, I've gone through the transition and uh, yeah. I get it, but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Well, it's there. I mean, even it's there to help us, even on the amateur side, you, you look at all these smash factor, uh, you know, swing uh, planes, angles, and it helps. It actually helps uh, uh, teach the game. Uh, so it's wonderful. But uh, in terms of the professional sport and observing and commentating on it, it's it's insane. The numbers are uh, are wild. And what what's interesting, though, this year is like, how different the makeup of the team is with the absence of live players and including Henrik Stenson, the coach, huge change, you know, by him going over to live and being booted. And uh, recently Sergio has stepped up and offered to pay all his fines uh, to get himself onto the team, which is like, you know, he hasn't done much out on live or anywhere. So it's, uh, he, he probably wouldn't have been a good choice regardless, but um now that we're here, we've got one live player. Uh, um, all these guys haven't been able to play on any tour other than live to earn points on the team. So how different uh, these teams do look. And Gary, what do you think if we were uh, able to have some of these players, DJ and Taylor Gooch has had a pretty good year, might have been eligible uh, had he had that success on PGA Tour. Yeah, he would DeChambeau. have probably earned his way on yeah, the DeChambeau. team. DeChambeau, of course. Uh, and on the European side, there's a lot of players who aren't there. So uh, how do you think this is going to play out uh, at the end of the week, Gary? Yeah, you know, if look, if, if Dustin Johnson and Taylor Gooch and Bryson DeChambeau were playing on the PGA Tour, or even if they, if, if they had performed like Bryson played well at the PGA Championship, um, but, but certainly even Dustin, John, I mean, even Brooks Kepka. I mean, Brooks won in a, won a major finished second in another, and he still didn't automatically qualify because of, mm -hmm. of, you know, all of the points available week in and week out on the PGA tour. I, I think plausibly speaking, the only other player that likely would have played their way on either through his own production or because of his acceptance <coughs> chemistry that he has currently with the core of the American team would have been Dustin Johnson. I, I think that uh -huh. not that DeChambeau mm -hmm. let's say finished seventh, like Kepka did, would he have likely been chosen? He likely, but Brooks, Brooks is considered one of the guys you were talking earlier about, you know, look, they play a lot of golf together in Jupiter. He's, he's totally, you know, part of the, the group. Um, Bryson, not so much. So as far as the makeup of the American team, I don't think it's at all dissimilar from what it would have been had the, the factors and who's playing where been the way it used to be. With respect to the Europeans, there's nobody over there that's been a part of the makeup of this team for the last almost quarter century that was probably going to be on the team anyway. They'd all aged out yeah. as players where they were going to be valuable was the brain trust of the back room with Westwood mm -hmm. and Holter and McDowell and Garcia and Stenson and Casey. I mean, that's, that's a ton of institutional knowledge that is not there. And so that's different. Look, mm -hmm. could Sergio have been a flyer pick to pair with Rom? Theoretically, yes. But his production had already – he – John Rahm carried him around whistling straights two years ago. Yeah. Like, people forget, yeah. like, well, they, they paired well together. No, no, John Rahm played exceptionally well, and Rory and, and Sergio just happened to be alongside and benefited from that. Um, it's different. I hate the yeah. fact that they're not part of it. Um, I think time mm -hmm. will change that. I think Beth Page is going to look a lot different in terms of the captaincy and the, and the vice captaincy of the European yes. team. But as far as the guys who are none of those guys were going to be on the team. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Yeah, I would have loved to see right. some of those players maybe uh, as vice captains, uh, you know, yeah. even Sergio or Ian Poulter, well, that would make things exciting. And he might be, they might be able to fire up the players and the crowd and with their experience. Absolutely. Poulter, but, uh, more Poulter is a I'm captain ask, or vice. Yes. Go ahead. But more importantly, Gary, I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, pizza or pasta, wine or beer? <laughs> well, let me start with the end. I'm retired from that department. Uh, my, my drinking career is over, uh, thankfully. 
Uh, so no wine or beer for me. So that means more room for pasta and pizza. Uh, I, that is such a hard call. And I, I will tell you guys, I went over to, I went over to Italy last March because my daughter was studying over there in Florence. And there are a couple of things about the experience of being over there. One, it's so absurdly good, like all of it. But the other thing is, it's so simple. There's no additives. There's no preservatives. It's like two or three ingredients in every pasta dish. And it's fresh. It's it, made it's from scratch. Fresh. It's, it's made from yeah. scratch. You, you, you get home and you've gained like six ounces because one, you've exercised. And two, it's not loaded with garbage. It's just, um, this is, again, I love pizza. But I crave pasta. Like I, I, a, a, a rigatoni or a penne or a carbonaro. I, I just, I cannot get enough of a good pasta dish. And I like any noodle. It can be a linguine noodle, <laughs> angel hair. Like I said, yeah. uh, bow tie, penne, name it. Love yeah. it. <laughs> good, yeah. good man. Good man. I'm with you there. I'm with you, but there's always room for a slice of pizza. So, uh, right. Uh, I, I'm in boat. <laughs> well, I, you know, for, for some reason, we always bring up food when Gary's on, it's like part, uh, part food show, but you uh, would think that I would weigh like, you know, that I, I would be grossly overweight. I'm, I'm really not, but I do love food. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. You know, closing thoughts, Gary, you know, I'm going to put a question mark on, on two players on the American side. I want the Americans to win, first of all, just to let you know I'm biased towards the American team. Um, but the question mark for me is uh, Justin Thomas and Sam Burns. Uh, mm -hmm. the, obviously, they could play well. They're on the team. The, they're going to gel with all the players, but are they able to perform for this Ryder Cup is the question mark for me. Everyone else, I feel, is going to hold their own and play fairly well. Uh, that may not be the case, but those are my question marks. Uh, Mike, I want your take on a question mark for one of the American players, at least one, and you as well, Gary, before we go. Sure. Well, it's a tough, tough one, right? I mean, golf's golf, right? Like six weeks ago, I shot 71, 72, and uh, my last, I broke it 80 once in the last 12 rounds, so... Um, Wyndham Clark, I think, you know, we know he's a great player, obviously he's earned his, you know, he, he's on the team, but, uh, I think he could be leaving us some doubts at the end of the week. Um, it's a high pressure event and you just never know. They, they're either going to, they're going to swim or they're going to sink. So, uh, if, if I was to pick one, I don't like being negative and say, Hey, one player may not do well, but, uh, I, I would think, um, that would be it, ref. Okay. Uh. Um, Interesting. you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'll, I'll give you one American. I'll give you one European. Um, the American for me, uh, is Ricky Fowler. And I say Ricky, not because I don't think that he, he likely will not play well. Is it when you start to consider, you know, how many guys are going to play four of the five sessions? I don't know how you guys feel. My presumption is, is that Zach Johnson is, is counting on him to play in four of those five sessions. You wow. usually need six of the 12 guys to be able to play in four of those five sessions. And I would put Ricky mm -hmm. among that top six. So there's, there's a, a reliability factor on him that, and again, he's going to be likely paired coming out with somebody he's never been paired with before, who also is somebody who is likely never to have ever played in this competition. And that is Wyndham Clark. So Ricky, and oh, by the way, Ricky Fowler is the only American that has a losing Ryder cup record among these players. Right. Take the rookies out. Mm. All the other guys have winning records and his is fine. He's, he's tied a lot of matches. Um, so Ricky would be my American. Like my question is like, He's going to have to play a lot and you're going to count on him to play well. Um, and then on the European side, and this goes back to something Jay Delsing was saying earlier, and I am with him. John Rahm was, was, was headed toward one of the great seasons we maybe have uh. seen in recent memory. 
Yes. And then he never won again after the first yeah. week in April. And not only did he not win, kind of, kind of by his standards, kind of ordinary and was not driving the ball well. Mm. You, you have to count on John Rahm to be John Rahm at right. this thing. You're Luke Donald. Yeah. And what if he doesn't play well? That's a huge problem for Europe if John Rahm uh, doesn't go out there and be a total stud for their side. Mm-hmm. And he's been a question mark in terms of stroke play performance for the last couple of months. Excellent. That's an excellent analysis. I really appreciate that. You know, Gary, um, you can catch Gary Williams on PGA SXM Radio and Five Clubs Golf. Um, anything else that you're doing right now, Gary, outside of those uh, two shows? Uh, you want I'll, to I'll just I'll, I'll share one thing with you guys, and you're awfully kind to indulge. You know my my projects, uh, the Five Clubs Golf uh, platform. I just shot a uh, what is going to be the pilot for a new series called America's Guest, taking people to places uh, that maybe they've seen, maybe they've been to. Um, but telling that story, the history, whether it be a lot of history or a brief history. And I just got back from Northwest Nebraska, uh, Caprock Ranch with Gil Hance. He designed the golf course. When people see it and, and the, the man who shot it for me, it's a guy named Donnie Gertz, who I did a lot of work with the golf channel. He's brilliant at what he does. When they see this golf course, they won't believe it's Nebraska. It right. is an extraordinary place. Wow. We're looking forward to sharing Caprock Ranch with the world here very, very soon. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Gil Hans is uh, such an amazing architect. Uh, that, that, what a treat to be involved with that. That's awesome. It was neat. You guys are going to love seeing this place. Fantastic. Uh, well, Gary, and again, listen, Gary... And- yeah, we got to get a game in one of these days. So Raphael get down uh, to the it's, Carolinas. It's not going to be in Canada if, unless we don't do it in the next like, 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, yeah, yeah. The, the leaves are falling. It's a good time of year to play out here in uh, in Toronto or Vancouver, for that matter. But thanks again for coming on and wishing you a great week. Uh, all the best with all the shows that you're doing and analysis. This has been the Golf Podcast Live with Raph and Mike, Ryder Cup preview show, episode number 80. Have a great week. Excellent. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Gary.